Good morning, everybody. Well, we are nearing the end of this uh, series of messages that we're going through as we're walking through and following God's epic story in the history of mankind. And that video that we just watched, it shows a thread of redemption. Basically, the video was highlighting some of the key stories in the Bible that point towards Christ. And so, there is this thread of redemption. Some refer to that thread as something called the, the scarlet thread. Okay, the scarlet thread of redemption. And that, that thread ties the whole story together that God is telling. And so what you see in the pages of Scripture is that there's this amazing unity in the 66 books of the Bible as we start seeing what God is weaving together in this story. Now today we're going to focus in on our redemption, how we were redeemed and how the opportunity for redemption exists. And that in the Scripture is the pivotal event that God graciously accomplished through Christ. And so that event is what all of Scripture previously is really pointing towards. It's moving towards our redemption. And now we've looked at some key themes. Now the main events so far that we've looked at are creation, fall, and then even redemption. And so we've seen this theme of creation, the theme of the fall, and then the theme of, of redemption. We've seen this play out in different characters of the Bible, different stories, and we've, dis- we've discovered those, uh, those themes and how they connect to what God is building in, in this storyline. And we start seeing God's love more and more. We see His plan revealed uh, slowly over time. And we looked at, in the creation, we looked at how God created the material world, how He created mankind, and we went through very slowly Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And something we haven't looked at is sometime before the, the creation of all the material world, uh, God created His heavenly host. He created angels, okay? And so, sometime before, and we know this because of uh, the fact that Satan tempted Eve in the garden. And so, Satan was among the heavenly host, who at one point, and sometime before God's creation of all the material things, and before the creation of mankind, the heavenly host that He created was there to bring Him glory, um, to praise Him, to worship Him. But these angels, they were, they're, in the Bible, they're just referred to as angels. They could be, there, there are, uh, cherubim, seraphim. These are just different names given to the angels. And there's also the, uh, like a, 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 a leading angel. There are some leading angels called the archangels, okay? The archangels. And so these angelic beings, they lived in the, in the heavens where God lived and, and, and they were present with him. Now the greatest archangel was a cherub named Lucifer. And uh, again, he was an archangel. So he was a leading angel in, and had some dominion. And then God, after that, okay, he makes his physical creation. It says, Genesis 1-1, we looked at in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So uh, th- this... You know, and he goes on, he starts making the material world. Everything that he made in the world was beautiful. Uh, he put us in the world. Everything that, you know, mankind is able to experience has been beautiful. It's marred because of sin. But initially, you know, everything that God made, he said, this is good, this is good. But we know there was a problem that came with Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, and then sin enters the world. But before all this, sometime before all of that, before Adam and Eve sinned, Lucifer, that archangel exalted himself above God, to a position above God. He wanted praise for himself. 
And so we, we can read about this in Ezekiel 28 and in Isaiah 14. It talks about the fall of Satan. And Lucifer, this angel, he exalts himself and sin was found in him and he falls from this exalted position and along with him, one-third of the angels, one-third of them, were they fell as well and they were cast out of God's heaven. They were sent out of heaven. Now, what, what sin does is sin always wrecks. It always destroys. And so what God does is He begins this miraculous work of creating in six days our universe and an inhabitable planet. We looked at that at the beginning of the series. Along with all mankind, He starts building and creating things, speaking things into existence. But the creation itself, it shows us that people have an undeniably high, high value to God. And He's given us a great world to live in and to enjoy. And God placed humans in this beautiful world, but He gave some boundaries. He said there's some, there's, you know, the boundary of what they were not allowed to um, touch or eat from this tree, the certain tree. And, you know, in Genesis 3, you see this happening. Something about humans, though. God made us to have a meaningful relationship with Him. He made us and He gave us the ability to choose to respond to His love. He's the one that initiated. He loved us first. But He gave us the ability to respond to His love. And that makes the relationship with God very, very meaningful. Because it's, it's chosen. It's, it's, um, we're, uh, we have the ability to rebel, right? You and I, we have the ability to choose to sin or we choose to follow God. And so the fact that we would choose to want to respond to God's love is very, very significant part of what God has done. Arranged marriages, we're, we're not in a country that, that has arranged marriages, but arranged marriages, they don't make too much sense to those of us who grew up in the United States, do they? You know? Because we like to kind of discover the one person and then choose to give ourselves to them and commit ourselves to them. This is meaningful, that choice that we, that we are able to operate. It's meaningful to have that choice. Now, God, He gave us the choice to rebel. He gave us the choice to obey, which, which means our obedience would be from the heart if we chose to obey Him and chose, chose to really respond to, to His initiating. And that, that brings Him great joy. It brings pleasure as we choose to follow Him. Now, the fall of man, when we looked at this, it's the moment when the first man, Adam, and his wife Eve, they broke through the boundaries that God had set up. They broke past those boundaries. They violated past those boundaries. And they rebelled by giving into the lies of the tempter, Satan. Satan, he had filled a serpent, he inhabited a serpent in the garden, and he tempted Eve. She was deceived. She gave to her husband, who, eyes wide open, he sinned, eyes wide open. But, you know, Evil entered into human in, into humanity at that point, but uh, sin had already entered into the serpent at this point, you know, or into Satan. He was already fallen at that point. But the act of Adam and Eve choosing to rebel that introduced evil into the world. That brought pain. It brought suffering, and and all that goes with it. What God did was He He responded to their sin with consequences. And these are consequences that we all now live with. We live under the consequences of sin. We feel its pain as men and as women differently, but we certainly feel the consequences of sin. And God, He wired those, those consequences in so that in hopes that we would turn to Him 
as the only place to find rest and peace and fulfillment. Where in the world we, we don't find a whole lot of that because of the consequences of pain and the consequences of sin. So God wants us just to keep turning to Him because He's the only hope that we really have. And we do that, hopefully, you know, at a certain point where we choose to follow Christ, but then every day we have the opportunity to even just follow Him and turn our hearts to follow Him. And He wants to do that. God, God immediately, though, He responds to the rebellion of Adam and Eve in love. After they sinned, He responded to them. He steps in, in and He basically begins to make a promise. He promises to execute a plan to redeem, to buy us back from sin. Because as soon as sin entered the world, humanity was now slaves to sin. So God makes a promise in the garden to Adam and Eve, and He says that the offspring of a woman, from the offspring of a woman, someone born to a woman would eventually come and would destroy the work of the enemy, crush the work of the enemy. And so we're going to look at... I want to, I'm going to pause here for a moment. I want to pray. And then we're going to kind of... I want to trace some things that really point us towards Christ's redemption of us. So, let's pray again. Father, we thank You for this time. We thank You for the truth that we find in Your Word. As we've been looking at Your story, we, we see uh, that this is all very, very intentional, what, what You are doing. And we thank You that Your plan is unstoppable. And Lord, we thank You that You are high and exalted, Lord. We praise You. We worship You. We thank You, God, for, for this time. We ask that You speak to us through Your Word as we look at, again, some of the key uh, themes, God, that build towards Christ's redemption, His death on the cross, His resurrection. Lord, we thank You for how You've clued us in, Lord, through the Scripture. And we ask You for a focus right now. We pray uh, against any distraction right now. We ask You in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to uh, allow us to focus and just to not allow anything to really to uh, distract away from what You want to say to us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, early on in our history, God began to show how sacrifice is the key to the forgiveness of sins. Okay? Early on, this issue of sacrifice and blood comes up and how that is going to be key to us finding forgiveness for sinning. The first place you see it is, is after Adam and Eve sinned. It says that they sinned and then all of a sudden their eyes were open. They realized they were naked. Before sinning, they were naked in the garden and they weren't ashamed of that. As soon as, as, soon as they sinned, it says their eyes were open. They realized they were naked. They felt ashamed. And then God, and so they went and covered themselves up. They tried to sew together fig leaves in order to provide covering for themselves. God finds them in the garden and he said, why are you hiding? Well, we were naked. We felt ashamed. Who told you that you were naked? And then the story begins to... They, they, they spill the beans. Yeah, we, we listened to the serpent and we did this thing and we shouldn't have and, and we're guilty now. Because all of a sudden now they feel guilt and shame. They hadn't felt that before. They were able to just relate to God freely. And so here they are standing there before God in these coverings that they formed out of fig leaves. Can you, can you imagine? <laughs> If that was what you had to do every day, find, find some fig leaves and, you know, sew things together and cover yourself up every day. This is, and so God, He sees this, you know, half-baked idea 
And he says, this isn't really working. And so he responds. And you find this in Genesis 3.21. And I want to show you this because it's the first place where we see sacrifice. God responds with this. Before he casts them out of the Garden of Eden, he says in verse 21 in chapter 3, says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. He makes garments of skin for Adam and Eve, and he clothed them. So somewhere in the garden, the Lord... God, He took an innocent animal, an innocent animal, and before the eyes of Adam and Eve, God slew the innocent animal, and the ground drank up its blood, and then the, the scarlet thread that really is woven through the Bible, we start seeing it here, with the life with, you know, of a sacrificed animal. God sacrificed an innocent animal. He took then the, the coat of, of skin and He covered over the shame and the guilt and the nakedness of the first man and the first woman. He did that through shedding innocent blood. This was the first sacrifice offered by the hand of, of our you know, Almighty God. Now I wonder if when Adam saw the gasping, ending life of that innocent creature and saw the crimson blood stain you know, the soil of the ground. I wonder if he made the connection, because this was the first experience that anyone might have known that sin equals death. Sin equals death. They sinned, and now something died. Blood was spilled in order for them to have covering. This is very, very important for us to understand. And so the story of atonement and the story of sacrifice begins to really unfold through the Word of God. The next place we see it is with Abel. Abel is, is you know, Adam and Eve have two sons initially. They're cast out of the garden. They have two sons. And the younger son, his name is Abel. Abel presents to God a pleasing offering. And the offering was this. It was, it was the best and the firstborn lamb. It was the very best he could offer to God. Again, he sacrifices something. Blood was shed. This picture of sacrifice we keep, we keep seeing. Later on, Abraham, Genesis 22. Abraham, he had to be willing to offer up his son, to sacrifice his only son. Now this was only a test. It wasn't going to happen. God was testing him to see if he would be faithful though. To test him to see if he would be obedient. God asked him to offer up his only son, the one he'd waited for years and years and years, the one who held the promises of God in, in this little life. God, God wanted to see if this man could be trusted. And, and he was trustworthy. God provided, instead of Isaac being sacrificed, Abraham's son, God provided a substitute. Again, an animal was, was sacrificed in place. Again, the picture of sacrifice and blood being, being needed to, for, to provide forgiveness and to provide really the, the relationship to be restored between us and God. Then later we see how Moses, he leads God's people out of slavery in Egypt. And through a series of plagues, the final act, the final plague of judgment upon Egypt was what? What was the name of the, the final plague? Do you remember? The plague of the firstborn, right? The firstborn son, or the firstborn of every family, and even animals, would be um, sacrificed 
would be put to death as the angel of death would come through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn. And so, what God did to provide protection for His people, the Israelites who were living among the Egyptians at this time, is that He, 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 pointed, them, he pointed out to them that they needed to, all His families, every family needed to sacrifice a lamb. And they would take the blood of the lamb and they would mark the doorposts of all of the Israelites' homes so that as the angel of death came through, the destroyer came through to strike the firstborn, that the angel of death would pass over and not harm the firstborn from among God's people. That He would spare them. Since, and since then, the Jews were instructed after that point to celebrate the Passover every year, to remind themselves of a couple things. One is that a lamb was sacrificed to cover and to provide covering that the Lord would pass over and spare. But this, this picture of blood and the lamb, all of this, God just keeps His promise and He's working out His plan from generation to generation. All of these themes, these themes through the pages of Scripture are converging. And they converge at the event that we're going to look at today, Christ's redemption. So, take out this listening guide here. At the top it says this, God's epic story culminates in one final act of sacrifice. Now, if you're, if you're newer to, to our church, if this is your first time, we've been kind of taking this storyline, the pages through, kind of leading up to the New Testament. And so I just gave a quick summary of some of the key early messages that we looked at. But God's story culminates at one final act of sacrifice. And it comes in this way. Jesus uh, has a cousin. His cousin's name is John. And John, who became known as John the Baptist, he played a key role in preparing the way for, for Christ to enter the scene and for Jesus to begin His ministry and make Himself known as the Son of God. And it was prophesied that when, when the Messiah would come to the earth and begin His ministry, that somebody else would be like a voice crying in the wilderness preparing the way for the Messiah. And so... Cousin John, Jesus' cousin John, was that man. He was the person to prepare the way for the Messiah. Now, John was a burly man, okay? He would have made, you know, Bear Grylls had nothing on John the Baptist. So the guy who does man versus wild and lives in the, lives in the extreme and, you know, fights off animals barehanded and all that. John was that kind of guy, but even more extreme. He wore a, a garment of camel's hair, okay? A leather belt around his waist and he had a regular diet of locusts and wild honey. <laughs> and so that was John the Baptist. Okay, And John's role was to announce the coming of the kingdom of God and to call people to turn away from their sinful ways and repent and get ready. God's doing something. The kingdom of heaven is near, John would say. So get your lives in order. Get sin straightened out. And as people repented and turned away from their sin, he would baptize them to symbolize the fact that they were um, getting cleaned up, getting their lives cleaned up. It was a baptism of repentance. And he started to gather a real following. One day Jesus shows up and he approached, <clears throat> he approached John. And a crowd started gathering around him. And John makes a significant statement about Jesus when he sees Jesus. And here's the statement. It says, The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
John is pointing to the fact that Jesus, is, sacri- Jesus is, is going to come and sacrifice Himself on the cross for our sin. He's the Lamb. This is the culmination of the sacrificial system, the blood that was spilled in the garden, with Abel, with Abraham, with all the other... You know, so much is pointing towards this. And, J- and John makes the announcement. It's time. Behold, this is the Lamb of God. He shows us that God has been telling this story of redemption way back from the beginning of time. Not just when Jesus arrives on the scene. But this is the scarlet thread of redemption. And even the timing of the crucifixion is important. It's revealed, it revealed why Jesus died on the cross. Like a giant billboard. Look at John 19. John 19.14. This is when Jesus is on trial before uh, Pilate and, and even the people. Pilate brings Jesus before the Jews. He's on trial. He's been beaten already. It says, "Now it was the day of preparation on the Passover. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour." He said to the Jews, "Behold, here's your king." John the Baptist pointed and said, "Behold, the Lamb of God." Now Pilate saying, "Behold, here, here's your king." He's presenting him to the Jews. The Jews rejected this at this point. They didn't, they didn't want to claim Jesus as their king. They said, we have no king other than Caesar. Crucify him. And so, Jesus is sentenced to death. But this comment here, this was the day of the preparation of the Passover. The day of preparation was the time when the Passover lamb was killed in preparation for the meal. And so, God arranged the timing to show that Jesus is... And once and for all, He is the Passover Lamb who died to pay for our sins. God's plan was, it was all, again, it was coming together. None of this was accidental. Then the day of Jesus' crucifixion, you know, behind the reality of this is that the innocent and rightful King of our whole world, of our world, was being led like a lamb to the slaughter. His blood was to be spilled. Another detail I want to point out. Shows the effect of Jesus' work on the cross. When Jesus hung on the cross and died, He spilled innocent blood. But look at how Mark records it. Mark 15, 37-38. It says, And Jesus uttered a loud cry, and He breathed His last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The significance of this is that, is that the curtain of the temple was what separated the Holy of Holies from man's view. The Holy of Holies was the, the, a place, is a part of the temple that represented God's immediate presence and people were just not allowed to go in there. Sinful people were not allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies. And so a large curtain separated what others could, could enter into and the holiest place. Only the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies one time a year on the Day of Atonement to, to seek forgiveness for God's people one time a year. And, and the curtain being torn, the significant detail here that Mark records, the curtain being torn symbolizes that Jesus and His death on the cross removed the barrier that stood between God and man. There's no longer a curtain, no longer a barrier of sin separate, separating us from God. We now can have direct access to God through Jesus if if we accept His death on the cross as payment for our sins. That's the condition. We no longer need a human priest to mediate for us. Now, we can approach God because of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed. 
sacrifice, innocent blood. That's right. Tearing this curtain would have been a a very, very difficult thing. I want to just describe the curtain to you. I mean, you see these curtains back here. Tearing this curtain would have been significant. wouldn't have been easy. It was a curtain that was 60 feet high, it was 30 feet wide, and it was 4 inches thick. So this this curtain is probably like a millimeter thick. (laughs) You know what I mean? Okay, so imagine a six-foot high, you know, six-story high curtain torn from top to bottom, which meant God had to tear this curtain. No man could have tore that curtain. God had to tear this. It's clear that God was sending the message that Jesus' death on the cross was the means for restoring our relationship to Himself. And so here's some things that Jesus' sacrifice does. And I want to point towards Hebrews chapter 10. The writer of Hebrews, he clarifies and connects Jesus' work on the cross to uh, the system of sacrifice. And so look at this. Jesus' sacrifice, number one, it redeems us. It redeems. Gives us the opportunity to be uh, redeemed and bought back. Here's what the word redemption means. Redemption can mean this. The action of saving or being saved from sin, from error, from evil. And so this was God's plan for redeeming the whole world was redemption. He's saving us. He's freeing us. Okay, we're absolved. It can also refer to this. Here's another definition. The action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing a debt. And so there's this sense of retrieval or recovery or repossession. Now take a look at what Hebrews 10 writes, or what the writer of Hebrews writes. You see this in in Hebrews 10.10. The writer of Hebrews, he says this, And by that will, that's the will of God, by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, verse 11 says, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. He's, he's referring to the sacrificial, the Jewish sacrificial system which at this point was broken and it has limitations. He's referring to the limitations. Now look at verse 12. But when this priest, he's talking about Jesus who is now the new high priest, when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So through Jesus' death on the cross, the one who made us is the one who bought us back. He's the one who bought us back. He made a way for us to have a friendship a relationship with Him once again. He saved us from the sin that once separated from God, us from God. And Jesus' sacrifice, it means that we no longer have to do religion to have a right relationship with God. You don't, you don't have to do any kind of religious duties, love, good deeds in order to earn God's favor. Instead, you and I, we can have a right relationship with God we can be redeemed because now the curtain the curtain has been torn that separation that existed because of your and my sin that is no longer a major that is not a separating issue any longer we have the opportunity to approach god directly we can come to him daily through prayer 
We can get into the Bible. We can just approach Him through spending time with Him. We can relate to Him as we serve, as we do ministry, as we relate to others. We can listen to Him and speak to Him. God redeemed us into a close relationship. The curtain was torn. We've been redeemed into a close relationship if we choose to believe and accept Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our sins. And then the relationship that we can enjoy because of Christ Jesus' sacrifice, it completely changes our outlook. That's the second thing. Our outlook has changed. Look at the rest of Hebrews 10 uh, verses 19 through 23. Talks about this, the change in our outlook. Okay? Look at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, so because of what Christ has done, whose sacrifice changes our outlook, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, meaning, now we can now approach Him. It's the, the curtain has been torn. By a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is His body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Then he writes this, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for He who promised is faithful. Now, this changes our outlook. Changes in our outlook don't happen all the time, but they do happen whenever you go through status changes. Uh, like if you got a new job, that changes your perspective on how something works. You, you learn some new processes. If you get, if you get married... That might give you a new perspective on responsibility. It might give you a new perspective on caring for another person. But there are a lot of ways that our outlook on life changes. But Jesus' sacrifice is able to change our entire outlook, our entire perspective on life. Take a look at... I mean, you, you saw verses uh, 19 through 23, but look at verse 22 again. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Jesus' sacrifice, it helps us to deal with the guilt that we feel in life because of our sins. All of us have committed blatant sins against God. We've crossed a boundary line. And we do that and we feel guilt and we feel ashamed and we want to hide. But Jesus' sacrifice, it helps us deal with that guilt. We don't have to run. We don't have to be ashamed any longer. Through, through His blood shed, we can draw near to God. We can, come, we can know Him. We can know that Jesus paid the price for our sins. I don't have to keep trying to re... You know, I don't need to earn God's favor. Think about that. Think about how much of your life can be shaky and uncertain and how our perspective and outlook can just be constantly changing. Christ's sacrifice... And the relationship with God that comes from that sacrifice does not need to change. Like, you can have a steadiness. Look at verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. In a world of uncertainty, we can hold on to this new outlook because of Jesus' sacrifice. I can draw near to God. You can draw near to God with hope and with guilt-free. We can be guilt-free due to His faithfulness. This is, this is powerful. Before... Before you, you know, if you, if you never recognize what Jesus did or if you never yield to, to Him, then it puts a lot of pressure on us to do this or to do that in order to make ourselves right with God. But choosing to put your trust in Jesus and His work, that releases you. It releases you from the pressure 
of having to earn and then maintain a right relationship with God. You don't have to try to do that any longer if you're in Christ. His blood has been shed once and for all for you. He was the great high priest. And the result of this new outlook is this, is that our, our habits change. There's a change. That's the third thing. Jesus' sacrifice, it changes our habits. So verse 24 and 25, the writer of Hebrews says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Jesus' sacrifice, it freed us to live a life of, of, good, of love towards others, of good works towards others, but we no longer have to do this stuff out of guilt. A lot of times we, do, we love people and we do good things because we think that's going to make us better in God's eyes. But now, we're freed up to do love and good deeds out of gratitude. It can be done out of gratitude because of what Christ Jesus did for us. His sacrifice on the cross is the ultimate story of redemption. And, and we're right in the middle of it. We're right in the middle of it because it is our sins that needed to be washed away. We find ourselves in the story. We're the ones that are in need of, of restoration, of redemption. And so I, I don't know where you are today. Maybe you have committed your life to, to follow Christ already. Or maybe you're here and you're investigating whether or not God is real. You know, what it would be like to have a relationship with Him. If you've never committed your life to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you to figure that out. And I'm not saying like, go, go on a search. We want to, we want to help you. We want to help you understand and clarify what it means to really follow Christ. If you were brought here today by, by a friend, maybe talk to that person and ask the questions you have about God. If there's things that we've looked at this morning that you have questions about, talk to, talk to the person who brought you and just say, hey, can you help me understand further this point or that point or why, why this matters? I, 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 there's something resonating with that story. And I, just, I know I need to get this question answered. It's burning inside of me. Also, if, if you're just a guest and that, that you, you came through you know, the internet or road signs, then on the back of your connection card, there's a place that says, where you can indicate on the back, contact me about beginning a relationship with Jesus for the first time. If you, if you check that box, we'll follow up with you. We'd love to help you understand how to know Christ personally. How to deal with sin, the sin problem that exists. How to receive Christ Nailing down your commitment to follow Christ is the single most important decision that you can ever make. And, and making that decision, what it does, it gets you out from under the bondage of sin. It releases you from the bondage of sin. And it frees you up to live a life of, of love and good, and good works to the glory of God out of gratitude. And if you've already made Christ the boss of your life, if you're already a Christian, then I, I just encourage you, as the writer of Hebrews says, to hold on to the truth of Jesus' sacrifice. You don't have to keep giving in to guilt. You don't have to give in to shame. You don't have to try to work to earn a right relationship. But you can walk in freedom from guilt. You can walk in freedom. And, and you can make your life really count as you love others, as you serve others. Here's some next steps at the bottom of your listening guide I want to draw your attention to. You see these, the first one is commit my life to Christ and follow Him as Lord. It could be that you've never done that. And we would love to follow up with you if you're at that point. 
If you mark that also on your connection card, then we will follow up with you. These are also on the back of your connection card. The second step you might consider taking is encourage someone this week. What, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is because of what Christ has done, because of His sacrifice and this great story of His redeeming you, how can you, how can you not share that with other people? How can you not encourage other people? This, this frees us up to live a life of love and good deeds towards others. So maybe God has put it on your heart this morning to encourage someone specifically or maybe there's someone you know that does not yet follow Christ and, and maybe God's saying, hey, why don't you encourage this person or, or try to help them get clear on, on how to really know Jesus as you do. And then third, just choosing to, to live with more gratitude. Thanking God for sending Jesus to redeem us. Let's do that right now together. Let's, let's pray and we'll thank Him together. Father, we thank You for this time. Thank You for Your Word and, Lord, the truth that we see and how, God, through the pages of Scripture, we see this, this, the need for forgiveness and sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice being offered up for people to have sin forgiven but then you stepped into this world in the person of Jesus offered yourself for us Lord we thank you we praise you Lord Jesus for the work you've done that you would shed innocent blood for us Lord that the payment that was required for our sin you paid it in full through your blood Lord Jesus we are so thankful We do not say thank you enough, but we do right now. We thank you. Help us to live with gratitude for these spiritual realities. Lord, help us to have a totally different outlook and perspective. Lord, change our habits, change our lives. We ask you to just retool us, renew us, restore us, Lord. We ask you for your help. We thank you for the work you're doing here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.